together. Listen, uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. In the summer, as I get ready for uh, my, my uh, vacation time, I start piling up books that I want to take with me and, uh, and, and things that I want to read. And one of them has to be a biography. I, I want to find a great life to read and to learn lessons, uh, get a different perspective and, and be challenged by people who have struggled through life, have battled obstacles and found their purpose for life. And so for the rest of July, I want to look at four important moments in the life and the leadership of King Solomon. The older I get, and I am getting older, the more, I, more reflective I am. I, I, I go back to moments, I go back to conversations, I go back to people connections, to decisions that at the right time, didn't, at, the, at that time, didn't really seem that important. But now that I look back at them, I see that I made decisions, that my life was shaped and molded in those moments and, and ended up determining the, the trajectory of my life. And so I have chosen four individual moments that changed the trajectory of Solomon's life. Four turning points from which we can trace his unbelievable rise to greatness. And then his fall. His fall to the point where, as an old man, he becomes disappointed, disillusioned, disgusted, really, by all the things that have happened in his life. I love Solomon's story. I love most of the story. But, but I love because there's so much of us, so much of the story to read and to study. His story is recorded in three Bible books. It's recorded in 1 Kings, in 2 Chronicles, and in 2 Samuel. But then he speaks from his own perspective, with his own words, through a, a host of songs and proverbs and writings. It's said that he wrote 3,000 proverbs. That he wrote 18 of the psalm, songs in the book of Psalms. That the book of Ecclesiastes and, 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 and some of the songs that he wrote are found in the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. A very beautiful story of love between a husband and a wife. So there's a lot of, of material to cover. A lot of, a, a lot of his life, a lot of his reign. And, and there is much to be learned from this biography. We're told in the Bible that he's the wisest man that had ever lived. He, he's regarded as the, one of the most rich and most influential men of Scripture. In his day, he would have been what would have been known today as a Google man. If, he, if it was to be known, you could go to Solomon and you could ask him. You didn't have to go to Google. Um, we, we know that he had a very interesting home life. He, he ends up with 700 wives, 300 concubines. Okay? Just, just let that settle over you. Okay? Uh, Debbie called us for supper yesterday, and uh, I think she went through three or four names before she got to Catherine. You know, like, come for supper, and... And, and what would you do if you had 700 wives and 300 concubines? It boggles the mind. Um, th those are just the broad strokes. Those are the things that were recorded in his obituary. They're, they're, 
they're the write-ups in the history books of the king of Israel. But what was it that shaped Solomon into the man that he was? What were some of the secrets of success and the reasons for his fall and his failure? What, what were the decisions that, that he made, that he made that if he could, he could go back and do it differently? Where were the turning points in the life of, the, of King Solomon? What can you learn? What can I learn about success, about failure from Solomon? This morning, I want to look at his coronation. Next week, we want to talk about his encounter with God, but I want to look at his coronation today. We're we're going to read two short verses that are like the Instagram posts of today. It's beautiful. It's, It's a moving moment in this personal history and the history of this people. But it's not all that it seems to be when you first read it. And so we're in 1 Kings chapter 1, and we're starting at verse 38. And, and listen, when you come to hard names in the Old Testament, just make up a name, okay? You don't have to just stick with what's there. But Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah son of John Boy, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to the Gihon Spring with Solomon riding on King David's own mule. And there Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn and all of the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people followed Solomon back into Jerusalem playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous, so noisy, that the earth shook with the sound. That's the paragraph. That's the Instagram post for that day. And and as you read that paragraph, you can can almost hear the trumpets playing in the background, the crowds cheering. There are three very important people that are in the parade, the coronation parade. There, There is the priest of God who's standing there representing the spiritual affairs and life of the nation that has been called the people of God. And he's standing there saying, God is pleased with what's going on. And and then there's the prophet to whom God spoke about heaven's perspective and the view of the nation of Israel. And he says, I prophesy that this is the, the choice of God. And then there's the top military official who represented the the Hebrew military establishment. And he's saying, the army thinks this is a great idea. This is our king. All three were loyal and trusted servants of King David. And their presence at the coronation indicated that the entire nation, that this was a plan that was approved, was sanctioned by King David. That King David was happy that this was happening. David's been king for 40 years, and he's now 70 years old, and he's not well, not well at all. He, he's in ill health, he's weak, he's not able to get out of bed, he's not even able to keep, no matter how many blankets they put on him, he can't keep warm. However, David has a very clear mind. And he's in bed, and he's making decisions and and giving orders from his bed. And and it has been his intention all along that Solomon should replace him when, when he dies. And he's thrilled. He's thankful that he gets to still be alive, 
when Solomon is taken to the throne. The parade winds its way north and east to one of two springs that support and supply the capital with almost all of its water. And there Solomon is anointed with oil that's been taken from the temple or from the tent of meeting, uh, the sacred house where God lives. And, and the priest pours it over his head, over, David, or over Solomon's head, and, and says, May the Holy Spirit of God come on you right now and remain on you all the days that you sit on the throne of Israel. May God be your strength. May God be your wise counsel, your power to carry out the will of your father. Then a crown is taken and it's placed on his head. He's prayed over by the, by the prophet uh, who would perhaps speak a word of insight into what his, his reign is going to look like. And, and as an official indication that things have happened and that he's now the king, the ram's horns start to sound. And after they have finished, as one voice, all that have gathered there at that spring start to cry out, long live King Solomon. And, And there is a wonderful return parade back to the capital with all the people of the uh, following the kings and and they and the king himself heads back to the palace where he's going to meet with his with his father there's celebratory music and and joy and expectation that we've turned a new corner we've we're in a new chapter of our nation's history it's a good chapter And the record says that the celebration was so incredible, so noisy, so full of joy that the earth shook by all that was going on in this parade. Isn't that a wonderful scene? Isn't that a perfect Instagram post? A new king, a new chapter, the history of a nation, the the peaceful orderly transition of government from one hand and one administration to the next. It's incredibly beautiful fulfillment of God's plan. But I want you to know that the paragraph that I read to you isn't the whole story. That the the beauty of that moment isn't as beautiful as it may seem. You see, as you start to dig around in the archives, as you start to read more of the history... That Instagram post isn't as beautiful as it first appears. Like the couple that I saw on Instagram yesterday morning from Canada standing in the Greek Isles. They're beautifully tanned. There's a beautiful background behind them. They're eating incredible food by the light of candlelights. And they both got this, this great smile. But we don't know what was said before. And we don't know what happened afterwards. I, I'm almost sure that the whole day wasn't that way. That the whole trip hasn't been that way. There's got to be some disagreement somewhere. It's not, it's, they're not living the perfect life. Who are we kidding? Well, there's much more to this story than what I've read to you about Solomon's coronation. First thing that you need to know is that Solomon is about 15 years of age. Shan Simpson Jr., he's in the, in the back there. Just stand up and wave, okay? That's, that's fella. Fella's 15 years old. 
He's a brilliant guy. He's one of the great young people in our church. He's handsome. He's smart. He's a man with a great heart. He's a man with a brilliant future. He's an incredible leader one day. He's going to continue to grow and develop in what, the way that he's going now. But if I were to announce that I'm retiring and that my replacement is Fella Simpson... And that next Sunday, he will assume the role of pastor, preacher, leader in this house. What would you talk about over lunch today? (laughs) Would you try to decide whether you were going to come and support him and see him succeed? Or were you going to think, well, we could go for the first couple of Sundays and see the place fall to pieces? Fifteen years old is pretty young, pretty inexperienced to be carrying out the weighty responsibility of a nation. Add to that, Solomon comes from a dysfunctional family. Okay? Now, we put the fun in dysfunctional in our family, but every family has some dysfunction. But Solomon's family, they beat all. They just beat all. We loved his father, David, a man after God's own heart, a man who was talented with a pen, was, was gifted when he had a harp in his, in his hand and brilliant with battle strategy. But you know what? He was not father of the year. He was not a good or a competent father. The most dangerous place to be in all of the kingdom of Israel was to live in David's house as a son or a daughter. Daughters were at peril because of the out-of-control appetites, sexual appetites of David's sons. It says of one son that David never said no to his son. Never said, what are you doing to his son? He just let him run wild. Daughters were at peril, the sons were good-looking, they were entitled, they were undisciplined, and armed with an amazing amount of destructive, selfish ambition. There were eight wives in David's household, all producing uh, sons and all struggling for their husband's attention and affection. And those eight wives produced 19 sons, who were all looking for the attention and the affection of their father. There was jealousy and arrogance, unsettled issues, meant that there was always tension brewing under the surface at home. Every meal was a fight. Every gathering had an undercurrent. And we we read that the coronation account, and, and it's beautiful and it's pictured as being executed wonderfully, but I purposefully left out the part of the story that includes another member of the family. You see, the fourth son of David had carried out his own coronation ceremony earlier that day. He had lured some of the key leaders in his father's court to come away from his father and follow him. And he went down to another spring that was south and east of the capital, and he self-declared himself, I am now the king of Israel. And, And Solomon's mother, at the prompting of the prophet of the nation, went to the king with the news that there was a coup d'etat that was taking place at this very hour, and that 
asked the king, are you still committed to making my son Solomon your successor on the throne? As you know from our engagement, our participation in the royal family, the successor to a monarch is usually the firstborn of the current monarch. That's usually how it's decided. However, Solomon wasn't even in the first five sons born to David. Solomon was son number ten. Ten of 19 legitimate sons. There were others that were born by concubines, but Solomon was way down the line. There were plenty of people in the family that felt that Solomon had no right, no no reason to think about being the king over the nation. And then we get to Solomon's mom, who's married to King David. Pastor Eric last week spoke about David and Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was another man's wife before she knew David. But David committed adultery with his beautiful woman and then found out that she was pregnant with his child. And and so he ordered her husband, her first husband, put to death. And the baby from that affair died. And then Solomon was born to David and Bathsheba later on in life. And and so there were plenty of controversies, plenty of discussion and difficulty going around the marriage that Solomon came out of. People all around the country. I, I tell you all that information to remind you that life doesn't come to us in neat little packages. To remind you that we're not often perfect or amazing situations that appear before us. Most often, most often, it's messy opportunities that come. Messy opportunities. Often, these opportunities come with conflict and risk. Thick with complicated history and relationship. We often expect that the sun will shine and the path will be straight and easy and the the winds of favor and popularity will blow our way. But often our destiny looks more like a battlefield than a fairy tale. Most often it's ugly. It's disturbingly messy. It's unimaginably costly. In my job as the leader of this house, I often feel unqualified, underprepared, afraid to jump into responsibility that's in front of me as the pastor of this house, or or as a husband, or as a father of two adult children. So I, I take and I keep my finger on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. I constantly remind myself that I didn't get chosen by God to do what I I do because I'm so talented or so wise or so able. I was chosen by God because God wanted to show His strength through the weakest vessel He could find. This is what Paul writes. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life of service. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. 
Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by by blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, all of it comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have to say, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Don't blow your own horn. We're just broken. We're just, we're just nobodies that God, because he lives in us, becomes somebodies. It's not my qualifications that God accepted. It was my willingness to be an illustration of what God can do through insufficient people. It was to prove God's wisdom, God's power, not mine. And my assignment is to trust his leadership and to follow him obediently, trusting that he knows what he's doing. And so Solomon re returns to the palace and he goes right to his father uh, to see his father. And his father's so grateful that he's been alive and gotten to participate in this moment as his son succeeds him as king. And, and, he, and he says, son, I, I have some thoughts. I, I've been doing this job for four decades and I want to give you some insight, some, some instruction. Number one, son. There are people who are a threat to the security of this nation. People who are up to no good. They are traitors among us. Don't wait to deal with them. Start your reign with cleansing the riffraff. Don't delay justice. Don't deal quickly and decisively with your enemies. Remember, he's 15 years old. But, but don't wait. Deal with them. And that's true with you and I. We, we have to deal with the enemies and, and so much of what's wrong with our world is found right in here. And, and David is saying, listen, don't let it go. Don't let it slide. Deal with it. No, number two, there, there are others who have been faithful. They've been loyal to both me and to the kingdom of Israel. And they're getting older, and they're not as helpful as they once were. But, but I want you to care for them. I want you to take the kindness that they've given to us, and I want you to pay them back with kindness. Never forget. Never leave alone. Never stop saying thank you to the people who've helped you get to where you are. They were placed there by God, but they were obedient to God. And, and son, I want you to be a strong man. Not, not a man who's mean-spirited, but I, I want you to be strong. A man who never breaks down from doing what is right, especially when it's difficult to do right. And I want you to be brave. Don't be afraid of enemies. Don't bend to public pressure. Don't stand, stand for what is wrong, but stand up publicly for what is right. Don't be pushed around by public opinion or the culture of your day. And finally, my time is short. I know that I'm, I'm just going to live for a day or two. It won't be long before my life is over. And so I, as I look back on my life, if I could do it all over again, I would make sure that from the very beginning I lived in obedience to God through every season, every chapter, every circumstance of my life. The, the, the mess that you're coming into right now, 
so much of it comes out of the decision that I made at various points to do what I wanted to do and not to do what God asked me to do. Don't, don't make the same mistake. Get as close to God as you can. Hold on as tight as you can. Do everything you can to be totally obedient. Son, God made me a promise, and now that promise goes to you, the newly minted king of Israel. Solomon, listen to me from 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to you. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithful with, faithfully with all their heart, soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Solomon, my son, if we decide as the leaders of this people to live as we've been instructed to live by God, if we are faithful in our love, in our loyalty to God, if our hearts are undivided in devotion to God, and we pursue Him with all of our strength, His promise is that a member of this family will always be in leadership. And that's what we're here for. That's who He made us to be. There, there are a few words in the English language in this setting and in this time that stir up more controversy, more reaction than the word obey stirs up in us. When I go to get a couple ready for a wedding and um, we, we go into the um, choosing of a ceremony and what do they want it to say and how they want it to say and and sometimes they'll say, we would like a traditional ceremony. I say, oh, okay, that's very interesting. And I look at the, the, the wife-to-be and I say, are you comfortable with saying love, honor, and obey? And at that point, quite often, I get fireworks in my office. We don't like the word obey. We, we, we like to see ourselves as free agents. We like to think of ourselves as wise enough to know what is right and good for us. But here's the truth. Our heart leads us astray. It, it can't be trusted. It looks for the easy. It looks for the convenient pathways rather than what is right. It looks after self at any cost rather than goes to what God has said would be in our best interest. Jeremiah says it so brilliantly. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. It's a puzzle that no one can figure out. That's your heart he's talking about. That's my heart he's talking about. I always sort of cringe when people say, just follow your heart. David says to his newly crowned son, don't make the mistake. Don't take the detours in, in disobedience that I have taken. Do better than I did. Live as God has instructed. Follow God faithfully and wholeheartedly, and it will work out as God intended. And so Solomon is there, and he hears what his father, the king, has said to him, and he takes it to heart. He remembers it. He, he puts it close to his chest. It's his full intention to be the, the best king that Israel ever had or ever could have. Solomon had lived in the house of David, and, and while he had had a, a healthy appreciation and respect for his father, he also knew and had experienced the firsthand fallout of his father's sins and rebellion. The palace of David was a palace of residence for the king and for his family, but it wasn't a home 
It wasn't a safe place. It wasn't a place where you could sit around the table and trust that everything you said would be accepted and mulled over and discussed calmly. A sword could arrive or a rebellion could be born. It was, as I have said, one of the most dangerous and destructive places in the country to be at that time. Solomon didn't want to live the way his father had lived and failed. He wanted God to be exalted. He wanted God to be honored. He, he wanted to be the king that God could trust. And he, he wanted the people of his nation to know God, to love, to serve and obey God. He, he realized that the weight of the future of this nation would sit on his shoulders for as long as he sat on the throne. And at that moment, he was determined to live, to love, to lead for God. That was in his heart. And shortly after that meeting with his father, David passes away. And the official, uh, the official record and obituary is recorded in the scriptures in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. And David had reigned over Israel for 40 years. Seven of them in the capital city of Hebron and 33 in the city, the capital, the new capital of Jerusalem. And Solomon became king and he sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. The words sound reasonable. It all sounds straightforward. David dies. The nation mourns. And the former king is buried in the new national capital that he captured, that he built, that he made great. And the story of his reign is an amazing story. The nation has prospered. The economy has grown. The enemies of Israel have been subdued and defeated and weakened to the place that none of them were a threat at that current moment. For four decades, David had given solid leadership in the country, had been blessed by every measurement that you could take. And and David's family is where you start to see the tearing, the ripping, the, the tatters. Many of his sons had died as a result of their rebellion. They died as rebels and enemies of their own father. The sword that David had ordered to take out Uriah's life, Bathsheba's first husband, came back to his own home and cut and stabbed and killed, sliced, diced, and julienned family relationships. However, David had chosen well when he chose his successor, when he chose Solomon to be the new king. And despite the danger... Despite the political unrest, Solomon comes to the throne as king and he he leads well. He leads strong. His reign is established and not threatened. His reign is, is blessed by God himself. God blessed, God established, God made Solomon a strong king in a very, very difficult time when he was just 15 years old. And, and, and the chapter of Solomon's autobiography that begins with his coronation is a, is a wonderful chapter. It, it, it's a story that's filled with hope, with promise, with, with a bright outlook, a story where God is at the center rather than pushed off stage altogether. Five, five quick things that I want to give to you from Solomon's life as we enter into the coronation that are true for you, true for me, 
in the story that you're living right now. You see, I believe that God is getting us ready for a new beginning. This is our coronation moment. This is our coronation season. He's preparing our hearts. He's preparing our outlooks, our, our, our mindsets for what is ahead. And, and number one, I want you to understand this. You have no idea how significant you are in the story that God is unfolding right now. You have no idea. Solomon was one of 19 sons, not the first, not the second, not the third, not even the eighth. He was the 10th son. He, he was number 10. He was 15. He was a product of a controversial marriage union, but God's hand was on him. And Solomon would write in Proverbs 19, verse 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. I'm here to announce over your life this morning that your plans may be good and they might be Happy plans, but God has a greater plan on your life. God's plan will prevail over your life. Do not assume that you are not chosen. Do not guess that you, uh, got cho- that, that you won't be included in what God is doing. Where you go, who you are. Get into a place where you can ask God, God, what do you see in me right now? What do you see coming out of my life? And sit still until you hear what he says or until he gives you the next steps. Don't just assume that you know best. Wait for God to speak. And the second thing I want you to know is this. Write down these words. Think about them. Meditate on them. I choose to live my life obediently to God's call. I choose to be found faithful. I choose to live for God with an undivided heart. It's a very difficult life to live when you choose that. It's costly. It's misunderstood. It's often mocked and ridiculed. However, I have never known a person who has lived out their God-given purpose who has died with regret. I have never known a person who has said to me after they've lived the way and the purpose that God has for their life, you know, Pastor Bill, just before I go, I I just want you to know, I wish I had done it differently. However, I have been at the deathbeds of several people who had promise, who had God's call and hand on their life, and they ignored all that and did it their way, and they are covered in regret at the end. They're beside themselves. Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I obey? Dwight L. Moody, a great evangelist, American evangelist who lived in the 19th century, said this, the world has yet to see what God will do with a person fully consecrated to him. Determine. Determine that you will be that person. No matter how old you are right now, determine. For the rest of my life, I'm going to determine to follow God with all my life. Number three, I want you to look around. I want you to be very aware of the events, the people, the experiences that God is using to shape and mold you into the person that you are to be. Don't complain about your adversity or your difficult circumstance, but understand that God is working all things together for your good right now because you love him and because you're called according to his purpose. A number of my conversations this week have been about how God has turned difficulty into advantage. The the man who had no father, who is now highly motivated to give his sons the things that his father couldn't and didn't know how to give him as a father. 
The lady whose heart has been broken on so many occasions, but is now understanding that the same peace that she received from God on so many occasions is the same peace that she's going to be able to give to other people who are in the same circumstance. Be aware that God is at work in your life today, now, through the circumstances, the people, the events that are going on around you. Number four, look around to see the the people that God has put in your life. King David had a, a team of people. He had a prophet who not only supported him in the difficult times of life, but who confronted him when David was neck deep in trouble and sin. He he had a priest who gave wise and godly counsel on all that came in front of David. We read of David's mighty mighty men, the, the bodyguards, the courageous soldiers that surrounded David. They all come from a, this, this ragtag group of, of misfits that were discontent with life and uh, avoiding their responsibility and hiding out from the consequences of poor decisions. And they go out to where David is hiding from King Saul in the, in, in the wilderness. And, and David gathers them together and he tries trains them and he invests in them and he challenges them and he, he leads them and he raises them up from being misfits to being national heroes to being the, the backbone of, of, of the, 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 the security of a nation. And they, they changed the nation's history. You, you can't do it on your own. You might think that you're smart enough, that you're strong enough to to live a solo life, to cut everybody else off. But it's not going to go well for you if you do that. David was surrounded by good people, by solid individuals, people that he... He could ask for help. And, and, and that wealth, that wisdom, that strength was not only available to David, but when Solomon came to the throne, they just moved their affections and their loyalty to the new king. And he started out strong because he was surrounded by good people. Who has God put in your life to challenge you? Who has God given to you to ask the hard questions, to to challenge you when you're headed down the wrong path? When you've identified them, go up to them and say, I need your help. If you see something in my life, no matter how mad I get when you say it, say it to me so I hear it. Challenge me. Don't let me get away with the stuff that's going to take the value out of my life. Find them, get a hold of them, listen to them, ask for their help, listen to their counsel. And finally, number five. Will you come to the keys, please? Number five. Write it down. Write it down. If you've been in my office, I'll, one of the first or last questions in an appointment that I'll ask you is, are you a journal keeper? And, and about half of you will say, yeah, I keep a journal. And about half of you say, no, I don't, I don't keep a journal and I'm not going to, so don't ask me to. Keep it written down. Write down the answers to prayer that God has given to you. Write down the instructions that 
have been spoken over this season, over this chapter of your life. Write down the promises that God has given. Keep the commands of God in front of you every day. Write it all down. Keep a journal of some kind and go over regularly. Because we tend to forget what we've heard. We we tend to forget what has been promised, what, what we have said we will do, what God has promised he will bring. We, we tend to forget that in the darkest moment, that up until that moment, God has been faithful. He's not going to change now. In the darkest moment, you need to go back in the journal and be able to read, this is what God promised. He hasn't failed yet. I have no reason to believe that he's going to fail now. Keep a record of your journey so that you don't forget These three books of history in the Old Testament, they're they're a true historical record of all that went on during the years of Solomon's reign. However, more importantly, they reveal, they preserve the spiritual lessons that cannot be forgotten. What God did in Solomon's life, God is able to do in your life. What God taught David, God wants you to learn from his lessons so that you don't have to go through that broken place. What God did for David in restoring him, if you've already been in that broken place, God wants you to know he restores. He did it for David, he'll do it for you. I said in point number two to write down these three sentences, one of which read, I choose to live for God with an undivided heart. We're just at chapter one of four chapters that we're going to visit. But about chapter 3, we get to the place where Solomon falls apart. And the reason he falls apart is because he forgot to live with an undivided heart. He starts giving a bit of his love here and a bit of his loyalty there and a bit of his energies over here. And all of a sudden, God isn't at center stage. God's somewhere out there. I can't find him. Had Solomon kept that promise in front of him, his story would have been one of the most powerful stories of all time. Write it down. Write it down. What is God saying to you right now? What's God saying to you in this season? Will you stand with me? Just stand where you are. Father, this is a new day. This is a new chapter in the life of our church. We've come through some pretty challenging moments and times but God you're doing a new thing you're making promises come to pass you're you're about to release new gifts new calls new purpose not only on this house but on this people and God we're in that that wonderful moment when you're refining our character when you're altering our mindset, when you're strengthening our spirit, when you're pouring in courage. So I'm asking right now that you would visit your people in a powerful encounter. God, as we come up to this encounter next Sunday, I'm asking that even through this week, you will speak their name. You will talk to them in their day, in their week, that you would make yourself so brilliantly known this week that when we get to the encounter, it's not something that's strange. It's something that's occurred in their life, and they'll know how to steward what you've said. 
Father, there are families in this room that are needing your encounter right now. There's things that have gone on that have shaken them. I I think of the lady who usually gets a ride from one son but can't come today because he's at the funeral of a co-worker who took his own life at 25 years of age. God, so many heartbreaks, so many difficulties. But God, you're the one who stands beside us in our most difficult need. You're there. You're there. You're there. You're there. So God, I pray that you'd speak each to each one while heads are bowed and eyes are closed maybe you